Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I'm Molly Nelson, the host of the podcast, sitting here with me, Rochelle Smith. She's the producer of the podcast. Lauren Merkel is here. Lauren is a certified financial fiduciary, a retirement income certified professional, and a certified financial planner. Did you guys think I was going to screw that up? I, I almost thought we were going to forget one. That's me covering. That's me just <laughs> take a quick I, pause. I never doubted. Thank you. Never. I appreciate that. You know who I'm not doubting? The fourth person in the podcast booth today. This is exciting. This is our first non-Merkel retirement planning team member to sit in the podcast booth with us. With us, It's Charlie Bottenberg. Charlie, we are so excited to have you today. Charlie is not only an attorney, he has a lot of other interests. So, Charlie, I read your bio. We, we connected because you did one of our lunch and learns um, a little while ago. You came in and talked to mostly the families and individuals that we work with here at Merkel Retirement Planning about this legacy planning piece. But you started off, Charlie, and you thought you wanted to be a doctor, but you took a quick pivot. Tell us a little bit about yourself, <laughs> that pivot, and why you're doing what you're doing today. I mean, it's more like a pothole than a pivot, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, no. So, uh, what Molly's alluding to is I have a bachelor's degree in biochemistry, cell and molecular biology from Drake university, which is not a very common degree <laughs> for an attorney. Um, <laughs> like I rattles that off, like, although, but it's a common degree though. Although right? Yeah. I, 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 I still maintain, uh, my best friend in college, best man at my wedding, college roommate for part of it. Also a biochemistry, cell and molecular biology degree holder also has a law degree from Drake University. So wow. at least I'm not alone. Eric, if you're out there, if you hear this, <laughs> I, he made the pivot as well. He did, uh, Yeah, although I don't think he, I think he had different goals in mind. I'm not going to speak to his. But yeah, no, I, I was I was done with school when I was done with my uh, undergrad degree, entered the working world, got a job, saw what life was like, um, got married, had a kid, life was good, but decided that, hey, you know, I want, I want to do something else. Went and started my MBA at Iowa State University in their executive program over the weekend. Um, really liked it. Said, hey, maybe I, maybe I should look at this professional degree thing. I'm not getting any younger. Um, took a couple entrance exams, scored pretty well on the LSAT. Said, hey, I could do this. I could do this law, law thing. How about not, why not more school? Why not right? more school? Right. Especially after some you're more done, school once right? you got kids and the wife. It's easy, right? Uh, uh, yeah, law school? Piece of cake. I, I joke because I was, I was done, right? I was done with my one degree. Now I have three. So I, I apparently don't <laughs> listen to myself very well. But, um, you know, applied to a bunch of schools in the region. I was going to do this, do the commute thing. And my wife was supportive with, you know, a, a baby at home and a couple of dogs. That seems perfectly reasonable, right? And then uh, <laughs> as I was starting to get my acceptance letters, uh, found out we have another kid. So I did what can only be described as the smart thing and said, I'm not going to law school. Ah. Um, to her credit, she said, no, you're, you're definitely going to law uh, school. I'm not going to nice. hear about this for the rest of my life. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to Drake then so that we can stay home. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with Drake. I think it's a fantastic it's law school. It's the but best school in it, the country. It clearly was a lot more convenient than commuting to, say, Minneapolis for, for school. So, yeah, no, I, I am a uh, estate planning attorney at Allers & Cooney Law Firm downtown. Um, specialize in um, estate planning, probate, trust, trust administration, a little bit of small business, a little bit of real estate. Um, my real goal is to – I, I kind of look at – uh, estate planning, like a puzzle, it's very interesting to me. People come in, they have, um, you know, certain goals, certain beneficiaries, certain needs. Yeah, sure, some of them are, are vanilla. It's like the, you know, the nine by nine box balls you get at McDonald's or one of your kids gets in a Happy Meal, right? Super easy to do. <laughs> the, those are fun. Sure. Um, but then some of them are the, you know, 25,000 piece that is a circle, so there's no actual edges somehow. Um, and you got to figure out how to, how to place all the parts together, uh, you know, dodging some tax stuff here or there, dodging some familial tension, dodging 
um, you know, mom and dad's wants and needs that maybe aren't necessarily rational or reasonable, but they are what they are and put it all together in a way that makes the client happy. Lauren, this sounds a little bit like what you do. Well, he said puzzle pieces, and I'm thinking that's exactly what we talk about as the overall retirement plan is your retirement plan is one big puzzle. And as we start talking with people about what their retirement vision looks like, and then all the financial pieces that fit into making that retirement vision a reality, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. And then we just focus on the legacy planning piece. Then there's multiple puzzle pieces within that overall puzzle as well. Uh, And one of the things that we see when we're talking with people is the estate planning piece is one of the last pieces that they tend to think about. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One, it's not really a fun topic to talk about what happens when you pass away or your spouse passes away and what happens with the kids and and trying to think through all the different what ifs and then what's going to happen to the financial resources you've worked a lifetime to to accumulate and how are the kids going to react to it and and what if I do a 34% to this kid and 33 to this one and 33 how are they going to you know there's so many different things that people have to think about and that's not a lot of fun. So it's one of the most overlooked pieces of our retirement plan. And, uh, but it's one of the most important. And one of the things I, I think that people who, who take that step to, to rethink their estate plan and they accomplish it, it's one of the things they feel really good about. Because once you have that, that estate plan rethought, and then reorganized, it's not something that you have to do on a yearly basis most of the time. It's something that you can let go until major developments change, legislative changes or things in your life change. Uh, So it's one of those things, unlike the investment plan, where you constantly got to be thinking about and and reacting and and, uh, being proactive and making changes to it. So it's one, it's one, I think it's one of the cool parts of the retirement plan where you can set it and kind of forget it for a little bit until things change. And it's so much easier than people think, right? I mean, I'm not going to speak for every estate planning attorney, but we're not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'll give you my personal story. I didn't have my own estate plan in place until my third kid, and I'd been an attorney for two and a half years. And my wife called me. You mentioned something about not listening to your own advice early in your bio (laughs) talk. You know, it's that whole, you know, people make, you know, people in the profession make the worst patients, right? Like, I, I think my youngest was, I don't know, two, two and a half. He was walking. My wife called me. She called the office line. That's how I knew something was up because it wasn't my cell phone. And she's like, hey, so you, you talk to people about estate plans all day, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, and, and, and we don't have one yet. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, start driving. I'll have it done by the time you get here. I think I can get you in at two. <laughs> right, I right. I got to be done by 2.45. I mean, it was a slow day, so it all sort of worked. But no, I mean, it's like, Did you give not, her a discount at least? I did because I'm not dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it really, it's, it's, unless your estate plan is super complicated, it's going to be a lot easier than you think it is. And you're not going to catch a whole lot of judgment. We hear all kinds of things in these meetings all day, every day. And I can tell you, the first thing I do when I leave the meeting isn't go grab somebody and be like, Oh my God, you've got to hear this. Right. Not at all. It all, you know, we have, we have confidentiality. We have, um, you know, just good manners. And at the end of the day, the thing that you think is super embarrassing, the thing that you think is super unique to you, uh, it's not. You've probably heard it. I've heard worse. Believe me, I've heard worse. Yeah. And you guys are saying estate planning. And what we at Merkle Retirement Planning, we have six components that guide every uh, plan that we help individuals and families put together. And we call it the legacy piece. So whether you're calling it legacy planning, estate planning, I will say when when attorneys get involved, 
uh, Rochelle, I think of fancy words and <laughs> Latin and yep. yeah, and just yep. like again, I think it's a little intimidating, right? So you live it and breathe it. Lauren lives and breathes the market and curves, bell curves, and I, and I was trying that's, to that's good. I was trying to think of like some big words. <laughs> I couldn't even think of the big words bell I curve? wanted. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, he knows market trends. Okay, so you guys live it and breathe it, but uh, me, average Joe Q investor, Joe, Molly Q investor. Attorneys can be a little atim- intimidating. So what we want to do too in this podcast today is break down some of the terms that I know we've all heard, but might not know exactly what they mean. And then they can help you start thinking about, okay, do I need one of those? Because again, it feels like rich people stuff. I hear the word trust and I'm like, oh, trust fund baby. Mm-hmm. I knew some kids at Drake who had trusts coming when they were 18. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that kid. Mm-mm. Drake wasn't even something I would have thought about if it wasn't for a basketball scholarship. So, you know, trusts and wills and estates, it all sounds like stuff for the for the upper crust, but it really isn't. It's really just for those people who want to see their wishes, uh, wishes, you know, take place after they pass. So let's break it down for people. Charlie's the perfect person to do that for us. So first, do I have an estate? Charlie, me, yes. Molly Q investor, Everybody a common, do I have an estate? estate? Everybody has an estate. Um, so estates are made up of what you would think of assets, right? So if you own a home, if you own a car, if you have any jewelry, um, if you have an investment account, if you have, you know, a bank account, if you have cash, if you have a kiddie pool in the backyard, you have an estate. (laughs) Okay. That's one thing I have. Now, is it, is it a planable estate? Well, I don't know. So a planable estate, at least the way I define it is an estate that, there's assets that you want to get to certain people, right? Some people don't have a planable estate. Some people just have $5,000 in a bank account and, you know, they're, they're living hand to mouth and they don't, they don't really care where it goes or they have one kid or they have two kids and it's going to be split. Sure, there's probably not, you know, a whole lot of fancy documents that we're going to put in place. Now, there are documents that we're going to put in place. The will is the least important, but we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, everybody has an estate. And what a lot of people don't realize is if you're on Medicaid or if you have a lot of debt, you, you have an estate. It's a negative estate is what I call that because there's, there's people that are owed money. Um, and any one of those creditors could then open, open a probate, open an estate and, and take your family to court. And, um, I'm not going to get into the details of that because it's, it's usually never fun, but there's lots of scenarios. In fact, just this last week, I got a phone call from somebody that said, Hey, you know, mom had a reverse mortgage. Um, we think the reverse mortgage is worth more than the house is worth. Can they come after me? Right. And so there's these, there's these really complex questions that, um, you know, had that person just had a, a comprehensive conversation with either a financial professional or an attorney or heck their own family, there'd have been a lot less confusion. Um, so yeah, ev- everyone has an estate, um, whether or not, you know, it's an estate that you feel is planable, that that's kind of an individual decision. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, we can find something to plan for in just about anybody's life. Do you feel that people don't realize they have estates sometimes, Lauren? I mean, I think some people think, oh, my house isn't quite paid off. Mm-hmm. Or I, I plan on spending most of my retirement money. You should still probably think of yourself as someone with an estate, though, right? Well, one of the bis- biggest misconceptions of legacy planning is they do, just like you were saying, Molly, is they think it's for the rich. And so people don't think they have enough money to put a legacy plan together because they misunderstand what a real legacy plan is. Or the second biggest misconception is they have a will and they feel like that is their legacy plan and that's going to suffice everything that they're trying to accomplish. But I like what Charlie just said is the will is the least important 
planning document that you can, you can have. Um, but, and most of the time the will is outdated. I mean, how, how many times do I have a conversation with somebody and I ask them, what is, what did they, what have they done so far from a legacy planning standpoint? And they say, well, I have this will, but it was from 20 years ago when junior was 10 sure. and we were trying to identify who was going to take care of junior. And, uh, and so it's not really an effective document 20 years ago if it's not going to outline what it is that you're really trying to accomplish. So uh, I think one of the important takeaways is everybody has an estate and now, and now it's about what kind of legal documents do you need to put in place to make sure that your final wishes are fulfilled? Does that mean it's a will? Does it mean it's a trust? Do, do you need different power of attorney documents? What's going to actually legally take care of your final wishes? Yeah, let's talk about some of those documents and really zeroing to as you move to and through retirement, how these kind of can change. So some people set up that will when they first get married, like you said, Lauren, where the kids go, who's going to manage whatever life insurance there might be or something like that. So when people come to you and they're getting ready to retire, they're in that age range. Do they, do they update the will? Do they get rid of the will? What's what's the process there? Some of both. Um, so I truly believe in educating clients and letting them make their own decisions. Um, not that I don't, I think most estate planning attorneys are in the same boat, right? Um, so every, every client who comes into my office, um, you know, one, I try to get them to fill out my questionnaire. I say the word try because anybody who's ever had to try to get a client to fill out a questionnaire <laughs> knows that it's it's an active process and you don't always get the Together information Together we want. fill out the questionnaire. Um, but but it is important because we plan for a $20 million estate very differently than we plan for a $200,000 estate. And I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, and then I, I draw some really, really bad graphics. And I joke because I'm, when I started this, my daughter was in kindergarten. I used to say my kindergartner can draw better than this. She's in, going into fifth grade now, so it's, you know, different. But um, sorry, sixth grade, if she somehow listens to this, I did not get the wrong oh, grade. She get just that right. left fifth grade. But it hasn't um, changed. She can still draw she better. She can still than draw better than I can, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I try to try show people, you know, these are kind of the life stages of an estate plan, you know, and the most basic document is going to be a will, right? So a will is great for somebody who um, either doesn't have kids or their kids are all, you know, say 30, you know, like our, our, we're all in the same general age range, our parents age, a will might be a great document for that, because we're not worried about the beneficiary's ability to touch and handle and control money, right? But along with that will, and just as important, if not a lot of times more important, we're looking at the financial power of attorney and the medical power of attorney. Those documents essentially let somebody step into the shoes of the person, the, the, the person, the principal who has made those de declarations and make either medical or financial decisions for them. Um, well, why do I need that? Well, you're in a car crash, right? And they take you to the hospital. Who's going to make those medical decisions for you, right? Well, um, this always comes out bad, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's Everyone has somebody in their family they would prefer didn't make those medical decisions. That's just a reality, and, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not a bad thing, but somebody who just maybe doesn't want to make that medical decision is incapable of making that medical decision. Um, occasionally it's the opposite and will, you know, be a little bit too hasty about doing things like pulling a plug. That's probably not something to laugh about, but it, it is sure. out there. Um, and, and we have some of those default provisions in our Iowa code, but what we don't have any default provisions for in our Iowa code is a financial power of attorney. Who, you know, if you have a house with a mortgage and you have a car payment and you have, you know, um, electricity bills and gas bills and internet bills and phone bills and Netflix and yada, 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 right? Who, who's going to make those payments? Now, sure, a lot of times those are automated, but do you have to move money into your account to make those payments every month or quarterly? Um, do you need to take out, if you're of retirement age, a required minimum distribution out of an IRA? Well, who's going to make those financial decisions for you? We don't have a default decision maker. So even though you're married, 
right? And you've been married for 50 years and you're 100% comfortable with your spouse and they're the clear decision maker. If you don't have that piece of paper, you got to go get a conservatorship. You have to spend thousands of dollars and spend months in court in order to make that happen. So when I was mentioning earlier that the will is the least important document, in, in a lot of cases, while you're alive, the will is the least important document. Because, again, for those of you who haven't heard me talk before, I'm the least serious estate planning attorney on the planet. <laughs> but the will is kind of not your problem because you're dead, right? right? So the documents that are your problem are going to be what happens, who's going to maintain you know, your, your comfort, who's going to maintain your, your health and your life while, while you're still here, but you can't make those decisions for yourself. And if you have three kids and you're, you're helping support one of your kids into their adulthood because they need support and they're not the financially responsible one, we probably don't want that person making decisions for you, right? But there's a real chance that they could. Um, and then, you know, so somebody who is in, say, you know, my shoes, early 40s, has three kids, uh, maybe isn't quite ready to go into full-blown estate or legacy planning yet, we take that same simple will and we tuck what's called a testamentary trust underneath it. And it's just a really fancy way of saying, hey, kids, you're under the age of, in my case, 35. Um, you, can, you can have access to these funds via your trustee. This trustee is going to maintain you, take care of you, spend money on you. But there's some training wheels. There's some guardrails. You can't just take this money and go and do what you want. You know, hey, you're, you're, you've graduated college. You need a starter home. You need 20% down so you don't have private mortgage insurance. These are all really smart things. Well, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at this $200,000 starter home. Great. Yeah, I'll give you $40,000 for a 20% down payment on that. Well, I'm looking at this awesome $850,000 mansion. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> we're not doing that. Um, or, hey, I got an off-campus job in, in college, so I need a car because I go somewhere that doesn't have public transportation. Awesome. What are you looking at? And uh, this, this dates me, but I'm, I, in my mind, it's the 1995 <laughs> Honda Civic, which I realize is really old now, but that was sweet when I was in high school, um, which is, you know, a, a, in this case, we'll call it a 2015 Honda Civic, right? Um, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's a reliable vehicle that's going to get you from point A to point B. Yeah, I'll buy that for you so that you can go and work and be a productive member of society. Or, oh, man, my, my kid is really into McLaren. It's like that McLaren. I'm like, McLaren. Oh, man, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. Right. So it, it puts somebody else in power. It puts somebody else in that parent role just from a financial standpoint. So that if you have a kid who still has some maturation process to go through, they can do it at their own time on their own terms, but they're not locked out of money. They're never going to be, you know, um, homeless. There's always somebody there who can take care of them. And then true legacy planning, and this is really where, where I think Lauren shines, but the true legacy planning is going to be some sort of a trust or a set of trusts. Um, typically, we're talking about what's called a revocable trust, and really what we're trying to do there is we're trying to set some rules of where assets go. Um, could be long-term, could be a long-term payout, could be supporting charity. Um, but a lot of times our overarching goal is to avoid probate because somebody's assets have accumulated to the point where the probate fee, which in Iowa... I still average it at about 3%. They just lowered court costs, so it's probably more like 2.7%. But um, on average, you can expect about 3% of your assets to be chewed up in court costs and attorney's fees and other professional fees and costs. Um, so somebody who's sitting on, say, you know, $5 million, that's a, that's a pretty hefty fee that they have to pay in probate. Whereas we, don't, we can skip a lot of those fees if we have uh, a properly constructed revocable trust or set of revocable trusts, depending on the asset levels and the wishes of the people. Um, we're still going to have those, those medical power of attorney. We're still going to have the financial power of attorney. We're still going to have a will. In this case, the will is what's called a pour-over will that just leaves everything to the trust. The idea there is, you know, you have to retitle assets into the trust and retitle beneficiaries, and people make mistakes. 
So it helps with the oopsie. It helps redirect assets back into the into the trust. Um, but you know, we can we can sort of tackle all those things. And then, last but not least, and I, I neglected to talk about this in the middle section, but um, you also get to pick who's going to raise kids, right? Um, is it going to be you know? Is it going to be your parent? Is it going to be your sibling? Um, in most in most cases, when I have this conversation with people. Uh, there are people in their life that they would prefer didn't raise their kid. And a lot of times that is a more pressing goal than finding the right person. Why? Because everybody has two, four, six, eight people in their life who they are okay with raising their kid. Is it always the best scenario? No, but it's certainly better than them being, you know, homeless. Um, and, but a lot of times somebody has somebody who's a little bit toxic in their family and they would just, they would just prefer that that person didn't raise their kids or that person may prefer that they didn't raise the kids. Right. And so knowing that and getting that on paper is huge because the court does give priority to the wishes, obviously of the parents who are, who are no longer with us. Charlie, that's, that's a lot to unpack there. So we, we covered a lot. No, I love it. It's <laughs> all, it's, no, it's all, uh, it's all great information. And, and we just kind of finished talking about the, the person when, when I have conversations with people talking about, the power of attorneys or the trustees, yeah. one of the biggest questions I get is, should that be the same person? So for the, the healthcare and the, uh, or for the medical and the financial power of attorney, the trustee of a, a revocable living trust or a trustee of a testamentary trust, should that be one person? Should it be uh, four different people, three different people? How do you go deciding who should be the trustee or the POA in those particular circumstances? One, multiple, how? What's the process that you walk people through? So I'm going to give you the attorney answer, and I'm going to say maybe or yes, or <laughs> it depends. Depends on your circumstances. I've heard Lauren say that a lot. So, <laughs> so here, here's my deal. Um, I think you should pick the best person for the job, regardless of the feelings amongst the kids. Um, but the number of times mom and dad are in my office, and they're worried that kid number two or kid number three is going to feel less left out of making decisions because kid number one, and I'm a first child, so I always default to kid number one, um, that, that kid number one is going to be making all the decisions and everybody else is going to be upset. So they, they want to work in some sort of a multi-person plan. That, that's fine. But at the end of the day, my advice is always pick the right person for the job. Sometimes that means that the trustee and the financial power of attorney and the executor and the medical power of attorney and the guardian for the kids are all the same person. Um, I do like it when the financial power of attorney and the executor of a will or the trustee of a trust uh, are the same person. And the reason I like that is it's the same job, but it's at different points in time. So if you're alive, but you're incapacitated, that's your financial power of attorney. Um, if you've now passed away, that's either the executor of your will or the trustee of your trust. And so if you have the same person who's just in charge of finances, it's a lot smoother of a transition from, um, you know, the pre-death to the post-death post time. I also like it when spouses sync those people up. You don't have to, um, but if you have two financial powers of attorney, if, if spouse one has, you know, their sister and spouse two has their brother, who's paying the mortgage? It's joint. Which, which, which one of you, you end up with this, I call it the Canadian standoff where there's two people holding the door open for each other and nobody will walk through the door, right? So it's easier in my mind to have very clear delineation. Now, great, use them both, but have one of them be the primary power of attorney and have one be the backup. Um, a lot of people will choose different medical powers of attorney than they will for financial. I think, I think everyone has somebody in their life who's great at finances who maybe isn't the best at 
medical decisions. Um, you know, I mean, my, my wife is a pharmacy professor, so obviously she's way better at medical decisions than <laughs> I am because she understands those words that are being thrown around. Uh, and I, I deal with finances on, on a daily basis for my clients. So, you know, if you were stuck between choosing my wife and I, you would probably pick me for the financial power of attorney or you'd pick her for the financial power of attorney because she's more responsible than I am. But anyway, and then you'd pick her for the medical power like of attorney. I like his wife. She gets a lot of <laughs> stuff done. She's, she's pretty special. Yeah. She, she makes my life a lot easier. Um, she probably won't listen to this, so I can say that. And not, not inflate any heads. But no. Um, now, where you do see some, some differentiation is when we're talking about guardianship or, or you know, custodianship, the person who's in charge of raising kiddos, um, there's a real reason to potentially split the trustee and the guardian. And that is the trustee, while kids are under the age of 18, gives annual reports to the guardian. Well, if your trustee and your guardian are the same person, the only person they have to convince to spend money is themselves. And I'm not saying that your sister or best friend or mom or whoever is going to basically embezzle from your kids, but I am a true believer in if you don't give somebody the chance to do something wrong, they can't. Um, so a lot of times, now in my own plan, the trustee and the guardian is the same person. So that's oh, why I said it depends. Okay. So I'll, I'll throw that out there um, because we trust this person implicitly and he would never do anything. Um, and if he did, I'd haunt him. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. But, that. Um, so, you know, when somebody does want the same guardian and, and trustee, a lot of times I'll offer, hey, do you want me to put in a third party who's responsible for, you know, uh, getting reports and approving them? Um, which is also protection for the trustee because if the guardian and the trustee is the same person, um, you know, the sooner you catch mistakes, the sooner you catch malfeasance, which I hope never happens, but it does. The sooner you catch that, the, the easier it is to, to minimize. Because when that kid turns 18 and they get their accounting and they're looking at it and they're like, gosh, you, you know, I'm, I'm one kid and you had five and you took the entire family to Hawaii for spring break on the trust, that really doesn't seem like it was an expense for me. Um, but if the guardian and the trustee, same person, are spending all of the money out of the trust, a lot of times it's because they didn't have the money themselves. Well, how are you going to claw that money back, right? right? So really it's about preservation. Um, and, you know, obviously the goal, the hope, is that none of these things happen. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of people will split the guardian and the trustee. Um, and, you know, really we're talking about kids at that point. Um, you know, the other one I get, and I just had this, oh, last month, um, multiple kids. Hey, we want all of our kids to be the trustee together. <sighs> okay. Um, I made them send an email to me in writing that I could print off and put in my file because when that blows up and it always, not as always, but it usually does. So a um, couple of things. One, under the Iowa Trust Code, co-trustees have to sign everything. Um, oh, geez. You want to write I a can check see a logistical problem. And you have four kids. Right there. That's a problem. Now, in today's age, in theory, you could open an account at a bank with bill pay, and you could bill pay it out and probably get around that. Um, but I've, I've run into – I have an estate that's uh, open right now – sorry, a trust that is open right now um, that should hopefully be closing here in, in the near future. Um, co-trustees, we struggle to find a bank that would even open an account. Interesting. Because they don't want to. Now, we can write it the trust in a way that co-trustees can act as if they're the sole serving trustee. And I do that when there's a, a husband and wife on a trust, because if you have a joint bank account or you have a joint bank account in a trust, right, it's the same thing. Um, but do you want all four of your kids to be able to just do whatever it is they want and call it good at the end? Why not just name one of them as the trustee? 
So we do a lot of daisy chaining, right? So if you have three kids, it's, you know, kid one and then kid two and then kid three. And then a lot of times like, on the medical, we'll flip it and it'll be kid three and then kid two and then kid one. And then we'll try to find a job for kid two. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I really, really stress, you got to pick the right person because, yes, feelings are important. And I, I recognize that feelings are important. You can tell that I'm not the most empathetic person on the planet. Um, but my job is not, it is to massage feelings, but my job is to follow somebody's wishes. And when you have two, three, four people making decisions, oh, and God forbid you have an, uh, uh, excuse me, an even number of people and two say yes and two say no. Oof. Well, that's fantastic. We can't <laughs> even, like, we got to go to court. Well, the whole point of this thing was to avoid court if you have a trust, right? So I, I guess in theory, if you have three kids or five kids or seven kids, you could do that and they could all vote on everything. Um, but I'm, we're, I just finishing up a trust right now with 15, 17 beneficiaries, kids and grandkids. Wow. One person's in charge. You pick the right person and you just go with it. Yeah, in my experience, I think most most uh, most kids in that situation they prefer to have one person take the lead on it, so they don't have to do. I mean, most people, it's it's not it necessarily. Anyway. Yeah, it's not necessarily. It does, and it's not necessarily a fun process for the kids to go through as well. You got four kids; they all have to communicate. Maybe they're in four different states, communicate with each other, make these decisions. That's not fun for them. Uh, and in my experience, they communicate that to me. Sure. And when there is one that takes the lead that does typically work much smoother. Uh, Charlie had mentioned uh, you ideally it's nice to have a guardian and a trustee as two different, two different individuals. How do they actually facilitate that? Is it as simple as having the guardian, one person through the course of setting that up through setting up the will. And then through the trust, you have that trustee set up as a different person. How would somebody actually have a different guardian uh, and trustee? You mean logistically, how does that work after uh, you die? Or just how do you set Well, you it up? would have to set it up prior to dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have um, kind of that middle category of the will with the trust built in for, you know, younger families, um, you should have, I mean, there's so that, that trust inside of the will should have a provision that talks about who the trustee is. Uh, preferably, we'd have a backup trustee as well. Um, and then within that document, you should, again, have a, a section that nominates a guardian and conservator. Um, and custodian is the new word that we're using a lot more. Um, those are for uniform transfer to minor acts accounts. You can, you can pre-name that person, you know, nine times out of 10, the court's going to name the same person anyway. But, um, and then again, with a guardian, conservator, custodian, we'd like to name a backup. Um, another good tip is if you're naming somebody who is of an older generation, whether that's your parent, whether that's, you know, aunt and uncle, sometimes it's a grandparent. Um, we like to throw one more layer in there. So instead of a primary and a backup, I like a primary and a backup and a tertiary, um, just because, He's using attorney words again. Sorry, a, tertiary, a, a, a third, primary, a backup, is that a and a third. third. <laughs> um, because unfortunately, statistically, older generations are going to pass away before younger generations, and we just want that clear kind of you know line of delineation. Now, if you have a standalone revocable living trust or a set of trusts, and then you have a pour over will um, in the trust itself, we would be having that that uh, trustee sort of waterfall. Um, and then again, in the will, we would not have a trust because the trust is separate and we would have, you know, the guardianship and conservatorship provisions. Um, you know, if, if you pass away and you have a minor beneficiary, um, even if you have a revocable living trust, we do end up in probate court, but instead of having an actual probate action, we're really just filing for a minor guardianship and conservatorship. So it's a, it's a lot, uh, less involved, a lot less expensive. Generally, if somebody has a trust, it's a lot less expensive. Um, and it's a lot well, not in Polk County. In every other county, it's a lot more streamlined. The new statute actually uh, severed minor guardianships and conservatorships and puts them into different court 
rooms, which is a little insane, but I don't make the rules I follow. <laughs> so instead of one judge in charge of all of it, you've got essentially two judges, which I understand why they're doing that because some of these uh, larger counties like Polk have separate family courts that are better at dealing with children's stuff. But it's a little more clunky, but I think it's only, at least in, in the metro, it's only Polk County. So we know that a lot of these legacy decisions and, and retirement decisions are are unique to you in your situation. So here's a great opportunity to talk directly with a retirement planner about your situation. It's a 15-minute complimentary retirement checkup call. You can go to MerkleRetire.com, that's M-E-R-K-L-E, Retire.com right now, and schedule your 15-minute retirement checkup call today. Okay, so I'm fairly certain some of the stuff we've said today has made people think. They've made people think about that will they set up a long time ago, or the will they've always been meaning to set up, or do I need a trust? What is my estate plan? Now they're wondering, what do I do about it? Because like any of these decisions, you can think about them, but sometimes taking that first step is the hardest part. It certainly is the hardest part, and sometimes they get the question of, what role do you play in Merkle Retirement Planning in creating the legacy plan? Really, our job is to walk you through what your considerations are. What are you really trying to accomplish? What do you want to have happen to all of these assets when you do pass? Do you want it to go to your kids? Do you want it to go to your spouse? Do you want to split, split? And one of the one of the instances that we see quite a bit now is blended families. And in blended families, things get really complex as well. So our job is to walk you through all the what ifs. What if this happens? What do you want to have happen? What if this happens? What do you want to have happen? And then to get you in touch, if you do not have a trusted estate planning attorney, then we get you in touch with somebody who you can work with. And I think one of the important aspects of the type of attorney that you work with is make sure you work with somebody who specializes in legacy planning, in estate planning, because there, these, these laws are so complex. There's, if you go to a lot of attorneys' websites, on their website, they're going to say they do estate planning. But do they really do estate planning? There's a lot of mistakes that we've run into over the years that attorneys make on estate planning documents because it is so complex, and these rules are constantly changing. I mean, even even the SECURE Act that took place uh, when in effect January 1st of 2020 is a federal law. So it forced a lot of people to reconsider their trust documents, their entire legacy plan. But there's a lot of attorneys out there who weren't even f familiar with the nuances of what the SECURE Act did. So it's important to understand who you're working with from an attorney standpoint, uh, which is why we partner with somebody like Charlie, uh, because he do, does understand the, the nuances of the estate planning. He specializes in estate planning. And so when you go to talk with an attorney like Charlie... Ask them different questions. Ask them what they specialize in, what their area of focus is, and uh, make sure you're comfortable with that individual that you're uh, considering to work with as well. Uh, because it, it, it should be a partnership between you, uh, your estate planning attorney, uh, and it's also why we have relationships with professionals like Charlie. So if you don't have a trusted attorney, you have a conduit to make sure you get somebody who can, uh, who is qualified to work on your legacy plan. And if you might be wondering if anything about the SECURE Act changed your legacy plan, you can learn all about the SECURE Act. You can scroll up in your podcast feed here. We did a couple of different podcasts on the SECURE Act. Also, you could go to YouTube, search Merkle Retirement Planning. We have got a SECURE Act video there that explains how some of these IRA distributions changed when that law went into effect. Okay, Charlie, so Lauren convinced me I do need a legacy plan, but I still got to go see an attorney about it, I guess. And you're yeah. the guy I have to see. Tell me, how, 
how do I even, do I call you first? Do I, uh, do I bring documents? Are we going to meet for six hours, 10 minutes? What's the whole process like? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest thing to do is just pick up the phone or grab your computer and shoot me a quick email. Um, you know, we're going to schedule a time to sit down that, that initial consult is usually somewhere between, I usually say half an hour to an hour. Sometimes they're 15 minutes because people come in and they know exactly what they want. Sometimes they're two and a half hours because people come in and they know exactly what they don't want or they don't know exactly what they want. I'm not sure how to say that. Um, you know, my, my process is, is pretty easy. It's designed to be as streamlined as humanly possible. Um, I shoot or my assistant shoots out a questionnaire. Um, it's way overly complicated. It's the only thing that's not streamlined in my process, but it's difficult because I plan for 18-year-olds just starting out and I plan for 104-year-old farm widows and everything in between. So if I have to have a, a questionnaire document that covers all of that, there's just going to be stuff that we don't need. Um, so I tell all my clients, hey, you run into a question, you don't understand it, skip it. No big deal. We'll talk about it when you come in. Um, for those people who have filled out or at least attempted to fill out that questionnaire or have come into my office with a printout of their assets, you know, what type of assets they have, um, you know, are they qualified, are they unqualified, are they, you know, that means are they pre-tax, are they post-tax, do you have beneficiaries listed, you know, what, if they know what property they own, which shockingly sometimes people don't, um, it's normally a, a much simpler process. And so, you know, the first couple of pages of that questionnaire are just biographical. The last couple of pages are what are your wishes? Where do you want to see stuff go? Who are the important people in your life? And the middle is the financial section. So we sit down, we review. Um, I draw my really bad artwork. I explain, <laughs> hey, this is what this is what you're looking at. Um, I give people, you know, a rough cost range. And then I open the sheet. Then I talk about the assets because I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm selling based on what they have because I'm not. My goal is to give you the information and then you tell me, hey, this is the plan that fits my life. Great. Then we talk about, um, you know, the nuances of that plan, the complexities of that plan, what it does, what it doesn't do. And then they make a decision. Um, we draft up documents. takes, I don't know, two to four weeks, depending on how, how busy we are at that point. We get you in. We sign documents. And this is the most important part. We get you instructions on what needs retitled, on what needs, you know, what beneficiaries need to be listed on what assets. And then we can get those over to your financial planner to then make those changes on your documents because what's retitled i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna stop you i understand sure. beneficiary uh, uh when it comes to an ira but what yeah. what kind of things would need retitling so things like checking account savings account um a post-tax brokerage account uh your house things like that we, we take care of a lot of that but some of that stuff we can't i mean we can't go into the bank for you i mean we could go into the bank for you but they won't listen to us because right. we're not you we can't sign your signature card for you um but it's it's at the end of the day and and we didn't get super deep on, on trust, but I'm happy to talk to anybody. But um, it's super important that your financial planner and your estate planning attorney are on the same page. Because if your financial planner is going left and you're going right, <laughs> spoiler, your beneficiary designations control your trust does not or your will does not. And if those beneficiary designations are like your will and they're from 20 years ago and your mom is your beneficiary <laughs> and you're now married with three kids, <sighs> we, we, believe me, we have a problem when your mom doesn't want to give up the life insurance or the IRA or whatever that is. Ooh, um, that sounds ugly. I've dealt with that. It's just not fun. Um, so it's super important that then, you know, everything is done. That's why I like working with, with people like Lauren, because he does a deep dive. He looks at all those beneficiaries. Um, heck, I've seen a printout that shows every single account that somebody has and the beneficiary listed. So it's great. So there is no, you know, there is no hidden information in there. Um, 
you know, and, and my plug for, for Lauren is when people come over with those documents, it makes the process even easier because if you don't know what your assets are, it's really hard to plan for it. If you work with a financial planner who knows what they're doing, you have a really good idea of what your assets are. Sometimes too much, right? Like you're checking it and the market's going up and down and you're freaking out about it, which you guys never have that problem. No, I'm sure no, no, nobody no. ever calls like, I lost $40. It's probably bigger numbers than that. But no, it is, um, as Lauren mentioned, that partnership is, is key because if communication doesn't go both ways, then you end up with a, a plan that's disjointed and doesn't meet what it's supposed to do. And part of what I like about your process, Charlie, and I've gotten this from people who have worked directly with you, is you do make it extremely easy. So all these terms that we've talked about today on this podcast, tertiary, uh, <laughs> trustee. I was hoping for some more Latin. Biochemistry, uh, cell, molecular biology. Oh, yeah, there you any, go. Any, <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. You don't have to remember that uh, if you were, were taking notes, great. Uh, but when you go in and see Charlie, uh, you're going to cover everything that they need to be thinking about, mm -hmm. right? You are the expert. They don't have to be the expert. You're... Uh, your process is designed to walk them through some of these what ifs of what could happen, get them thinking about different things that they've never thought of before, probably, and then find solutions to solve those issues. So it's an easy process uh, and you'll walk out of there feeling much better because now you have a legacy plan that is customized to you, what you're trying to accomplish, and it fits really well with the rest of your retirement plan as well. We have put all of Charlie's contact information in the show notes. That includes a phone number and an email address where you can contact Charlie. If you want to start the conversation about retirement planning, including the legacy planning piece, you can schedule a 15-minute complimentary retirement checkup call today by going to MerkelRetire.com. This has been Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.